finish strong, right? That was Katie's word to us in our small group. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made it. Um, it is yours. We thank you, Lord, that um, just as we sang all of those wonderful words that you are faithful and good and kind to us, and we know that this morning. And so we praise your name for that, and we thank you. We come with hearts of gratitude. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word and um, race through Jeremiah that, um, that what is needed by each of us individually will be what we hear today. And even if the words don't come from my mouth, um, that even as we peruse scripture, that your spirit will speak um, to the hearts and minds of these women and that, um, that we honor you in this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ladies, I just have to tell you, that Jeremiah makes me weep. It makes me weep. I cannot get around it. In fact, I um, have asked for prayer that I don't cry up here <laughs> today um, because it, it is very, um, it's heavy um, to read the entire book. And, and we only got, you know, we got highlights and, uh, and pieces out of it in our study this week. Um, so I would commend it to you for further study um, verse by verse. Um, as you have time and are able to do that. It makes me weep for several things. It makes me weep for, for Judah. It makes me weep for Jerusalem and for God's people um, back in those days. It also makes me weep for the church in America today. I can't help but make the parallels. You know, we are not a theocracy, um, but we are a, a, a church in America that has a long history of influence in this place from our founding um, and to have those kinds of uh, believers pour into the founding of this country and then to see um, where we are now um, it is hard not to be broken over that and um, but the church was been called to be a city on a hill and and I feel like um, you know for the last 40 50 years and beyond that um, that the culture around us, just in the, in you think about the the idolatrous nations surrounding Judah at this time, and the impact that they had on the people of God that were left after the Northern Kingdom had been carted off to Assyria. These are God's people in Judah, and the influence that came into them in their lives, and um, the power from those surrounding nations and false gods and pagan cultures and and you just have to to think about your own culture um, in America and the church in America it dawned on me this morning as I was driving here I didn't really look it up um, but you know we read in Jeremiah about even that they had done all of the the pagan and false religions and and even to the point of child sacrifice so, so Molech, you know, was one of the gods that was worshipped, and one of the things that required was child sacrifice. And they carried their kids to the Valley of Ben Hinnom, south of Jerusalem, and burned them in child sacrifice. And you read that, and you think, "Oh, oh how? How do you do that?" Forty-five years ago, Roe v. Wade, fifty million babies have been aborted in a so-called Christian nation. So we can't point fingers at anybody because of, of what has happened. So Jeremiah makes me weep. 
and, and hopefully not get choked up. Chris Wright said, if Jeremiah the man spoke in his day, and if Jeremiah the book still speaks today, it is in both cases because God called the man to speak and commanded the book to be written. So we must encounter the God of Jeremiah, an encounter that should be both profoundly disturbing and ultimately reassuring as it was for him. So yes, Jeremiah makes me weep. Jeremiah himself has been called the weeping prophet. As you read the words in the book, you get a sense that he is not the only one weeping here. Jeremiah speaks God's words. He feels God's feelings. He expresses God's anger, his grief, his passion, and the judgment that will bring consequences on the evil his people have sown. God's anger with Israel, Judah, is a righteous anger, sodden with grief and pain that wrestles with profound love in the heart of a betrayed husband or a rejected father. He weeps over his people. He sees as God's prophet what is coming, and it breaks his heart. It crushes him. When we read these words, looking back, as we are able to do, we can also feel the burden, the crushing pain that he felt living in the moment when it was all happening. The book of Lamentations, which follows Jeremiah, and if you'll turn there in your Bibles, was written by Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem. It's only five chapters long, and each chapter is a funeral dirge for what has happened. Um, it's, it's depressing, it's hard to read, but there's also hope in it. Um, and it's interesting, because we don't have the benefit of the Hebrew language, but the way the book of Lamentations is laid out, each line or each two lines, depending on the chapter, um, begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so, um, and it goes like the alphabet, like we teach our kids. Have you ever heard, um, there's an ABC song that each letter of our alphabet, um, the song begins with a Bible verse. And I'm just like, I wish I'd taught that to my kids. I didn't know that was around, but I would have loved to have put 26 verses of God's word into their little hearts as they learned the ABCs. So that's kind of what this is. It was a, um, for, for memorization, um, the way that Jeremiah wrote it. So these five chapters are here, um, written in that poetic language so they could memorize it. It's a funeral dirge for the city of God, for Jerusalem, for the people of God, his chosen people, so that they would never forget, that they might know what happened and why. So speaking of tears, look at Jer uh, Lamentations 2. Get my coffee-stained Bible opened up here. I spilt my I spilt my Bible. <laughs> I spilt my coffee on the Bible when I was writing my lecture. My pages are all messed up. He says in 2.11, My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Those are such powerful words. My eyes fail. My spirit troubled, greatly troubled. If you back up to the beginning of Lamentations um, chapter 2, he says this in verses 1 and 2, how the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud of his anger. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared 
all the habitations of Jacob. But then look over with me in 3.1. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. And then verse 18 of chapter 3. He says, so I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Have you ever been there? My strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah is crushed, but he is not without hope. So look in chapter 5 of Lamentations. Verse 19 through 22. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. So um, in the words we sang in the middle of chapter 3, verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases and his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So even in the midst of these funeral dirges, he finds hope in the Lord, and he knows where his strength and his hope comes from. So I just wanted to share those with you. They weren't in the lesson, um, but these are Jeremiah's words as well. Um, so I wanted you to have them and think about them. The Life Application Study Bible said this, and it stuck with me. I think you should write it down because I, I shared it with a drug abuser this week. <laughs> but, um, and I don't know how much she understood it. But a high calling, because we were talking about being daughters of the king, a high calling flouted by low living results in deep suffering. I thought that was just an excellent little... Thing from life application a high calling flouted by low living results in deep suffering that's where we find judah um, god's people in the book of jeremiah the book of jeremiah gives this message to god's people to no avail the words of god that jeremiah is commanded by god to speak concerning the judgment crush him but god shows him hope is coming so turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, and let's talk about the nuts and bolts of the book just a little bit. Um, it's the longest book in the Bible besides Psalms. I hadn't realized that or remembered it when I sat down to work on it this week, and I was like, what? <laughs> the longest one besides the book of Psalms? You probably picked up on the fact as you studied it, it's not chronological, is it? Which makes it really hard to outline. Um, I've looked at several outlines because I like to share outlines as, you know, as possible. I think they kind of give us frameworks to hang things on. And I looked at these outlines, and I would be sitting up here all day just giving you the outline. There's, they were so detailed. Um, and so it's, it is very difficult to outline. Um, I think um, the life application, <laughs> they did it. Chapters 1 through 45, Judgment Against Judah. Chapters 46 through 52, Judgment Against the Nations. <laughs> That was all they could handle. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thanks, Life Application. 
<laughs> you didn't really help me a lot there. But, um, but it is really hard to outline because it's not chronological. It's a series of sermons. It's got sections of narrative that give the history of what's going on. It also has accounts of visions that Jeremiah is given by God. And then these proclamations of judgments. And there's proclamations against the kings. There's proclamations against the prophets. There's proclamations against the nations. You know, there's all this stuff. And it's just, it's really difficult to kind of come away with. So I settled on um, J. Daniel Hayes' outline is a loose word. He says there's three main messages in the book of Jeremiah, and I I liked what he had to say. He said the first message that Jeremiah gave was, you, Judah, have broken the covenant, and you'd better repent. So you, Judah, have broken the covenant, you better repent. The second message throughout the book, no, then judgment. And judgment will also come on the nations. So Jeremiah says, you, Judah, have broken the covenant, repent. And Judah says, no. So he says, no, then judgment's coming. And then the third message of the book is, yet there is hope. Hope for the future restoration of Israel, Judah, and for the nations. So I think that's an interesting wave. No matter where you are in the book and what you're reading, it's going to be kind of one of those three things. You're either reading about the judgments and the call to repentance, or you're reading about the actual judgments that are coming, or you're getting these words of hope and restoration for the future. So Jeremiah was called to speak for God during the reign of King Josiah. You remember the little good king, the little boy king um, that started reigning in Judah when he was 13? Um, He eventually, you know, he did grow up and continue to reign. He was the grandson of Manasseh. Remember him, the most evil king um, of Judah. And Josiah brought reform to Jerusalem. Remember, they found the scroll in the temple and he had it read. Chris Wright said in his commentary um, that in the early years of his ministry, Jeremiah probably supported the reforming agenda of Josiah. But as time went on, he saw little change in the hearts of the people. So let's talk about the people for a minute. Idolatry reigned in the people. Cheating, dishonesty, whatever was rife among the culture. One of the commentators said the culture was rotten from top to bottom. Think about our own culture. Again, from Chris Wright, Jeremiah called for genuine repentance authenticated by actual change of behavior. And he seems to have done so with some hope that it might avert the calamity he saw coming. But his appeals were systematically rejected, systematically rejected by the priests, by the kings, by the leaders, by the royalty, by the prophets, by the priests, and the people. Everybody systematically rejected the message. So then he set about the task that God had given him to do. So look in Jeremiah 1, verse 10. What is the task? See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. That is his job from the time he was born really. God set him aside for this task. So who is Jeremiah? And what about his call to be a prophet from God? 
He's from a town just north of Jerusalem, Anathoth. I don't know if that's how you say it or not. It's almost like a suburb from everything I could figure out. It's almost like saying you, you came from Middletown, Betty Humphrey. And she don't know nothing about nothing else because if it's not in Middletown, she don't know. So I don't know if Jeremiah was like that or not. But um, he came from Anathoth. Um, and he came from a family of priests, which is, is, is laid out for us there in the very first chapter. Verses 1 through 3, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, and of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, so he's a Benjamite, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It, also, it came also in the days of Jer- uh, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile, exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So why are only three kings mentioned? These are the three that, that reigned the longest. There were two other kings, so there was a total of five, if you look at your little chart that we've had, uh, but the other two were only in power for a matter of weeks. And so it's these three main kings that are ruling in Judah um, during his um, ministry. So then God's call to him is found in verses 4 through 9. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. Who does that remind you of? Who does that remind you of? Moses. Yeah, I don't talk so good, Moses said. Please don't send me. I don't talk so good. And Jeremiah said, I'm just a kid. Don't make me do this. I don't know what to say. Um, early on in my, t- in my teaching of Scripture, I parked here for a, a season. And this was informative to me. Because when, when the Lord calls you to do something, he equips you to do it. So whether it's teaching Sunday school or a women's Bible study or little kids or witnessing to your best friend who is off the reservation um, the Lord gives you what you need to do it and so there's no excuses you can't say I'm too young or I don't talk good or whatever you know the Lord's got you he's going to do it he says um, do not say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you you shall go and all that I command you you shall speak do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And then look over there in verse 17. I didn't include this in my lecture, but um, he says this. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. If that's not get a little fire in you, I don't know what is. You know, God tells you to do something, and then he says, go do it. And if you don't do what I tell you're going to do, I'm going to lay you out in front of all of them to see what you really are. You know, I will dismay you before them. So don't be dismayed of them. Um, So do what he's called you to do. So what can we learn as Christ followers from this call to Jeremiah? Uh, Hey, says this. We need to learn, first of all, that Yahweh is the one who calls. He's the one who calls. He gives the jobs. He gives the task. He gives, he gives the redemption even. He is the one who calls. Our lives are his work. Number two, Yahweh chose him before he was born. He is our sovereign 
creator and king. The call centers on the, pro- the proclamation of the word, which made me think, what is the center of my life? Is living for God and carrying out his word in my life and family, is it the center of my life as it was for Jeremiah? Yahweh will empower young Jeremiah to speak. Again, no excuses. Number five, opposition, even persecution, is promised. Yep. Living the Christian life, that should be our expectation as well. Opposition is promised. Persecution may even come. And then finally, he says, Yahweh promises his empowering presence. I am with you. And we've experienced that too. So I like his call. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll park some more time there and even just pray over those words about you know, not having any excuses if the Lord is calling you to do something in your life that you would be willing to take it up just as Jeremiah um, was willing to do. So before we move on, though, I want to say something about the people. It's very easy to smugly judge the people of Judah. How could they not heed God's word? What is it in the lesson? We had one of the, one of the things that, what did the people say? The people basically put their hands on their hip and said, we will not listen and we will not obey. I mean, they were like a four-year-old child. And, you know, so, and it's easy for us to say, how could they do that? How could they do that? How could they not heed God's words of warning from Jeremiah? and the other prophets before him that he had sent. Well, ladies, I had to think about that because I'm thinking to myself, this is the word of God. I have it in my, you have it in your lap. I have it up here. We have it with us all the time. In freedom, we have God's word. Are we heeding it? It's, so to speak, the prophet of God in our lives. So before we smugly say, oh, how could those people in Jerusalem be so, you know, callous towards God's word and follow these other idols and do all these other religions when they had God's word? And here we sit with God's word. It hurt me a little bit. And like I said, it made me cry because um, I, want, I want to be doing the right thing. I want to follow God's word. I want to obey his words. Jeremiah went to his people for 40 years. He spoke to the kings in power. He spoke to the priests in the temple. He spoke to the people in the gates, all the people of Judah. And when Jeremiah spoke, nobody listened. 40 years they had to heed, to hear, to repent, to return to God. And they said, we will not listen. We will not heed. We will not obey. The word that Jeremiah uses over and over again, it says over a hundred times, he uses the Hebrew word S-H-U with a line over it, V. I don't know if it's shuv or shove or what, but it's S-H-U-V. He uses it over a hundred times, and it's the word translated most often in the text as repent, but turn to. You know how we talk to kids and help them understand what does it mean to repent Well, you turn from your sin and you turn back to God that's what this word in Hebrews literally means it means turn so it's turn to God turn away from sin 
um, and he uses it repeatedly, um, like I said, over a hundred times. And so constantly he was calling them to repentance, to turn from um, what they were doing and to return to God, and they said, we will not listen. So we have the inspired word of God. It calls us to hear, to heed, to repent, to turn to God. What do we say? What do we believe? In Jeremiah 1, verses 11 and 12, God shows Jeremiah a rod of an almond tree, signifying spring or new beginnings. And then he says, you have, and Jeremiah says that to him, you know, it's an almond tree. And God says, you have seen well. And then he says, I am watching over my word to perform it, Jeremiah. Hmm. I am watching over my word. God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. We have it. Are we going to be people who heed its words and hear its words and turn to God um, as we hear those words? Or will we be people like the men and women and leaders and people in the gates and all of the people in Jerusalem at that time? In the eyes of the world, Jeremiah was a failure. Nobody listened. Nobody cared. He was ignored. He was ridiculed. He was thrown in prison. He was thrown in a cistern left to die. He was rejected by his neighbors, his family, by false prophets, the priests, the kings, and then eventually taken to Egypt against his will, and there he died. He did not have a happy life. (laughs) He did not. But in God's eyes, Jeremiah was faithful, obedient, courageous in the proclamation of his word. Surely Jeremiah heard, well done, good and faithful servant, on that day. And those are the words that I hope all of us want to hear in our lives on that day as well. Wright tells us that in his preaching, Jeremiah dismantled and demolished the great pillars of Israel's historical faith. So we've been talking about this thread you know, the land, the people, the blessing. We've been talking about, you know, if you obey, then these blessings will come. All of these things that we've been covering all year, Jeremiah is telling them in his prophecies that it's all going away because of their disobedience. It will come to an end um, for a time, for a time. So the election of his chosen people, the land, the law, the covenant, the temple, and the monarchy is going to be demolished. The people had betrayed all of these in their rebellion and perversity to such an extent that putting faith in them was simply self-deception, he said. So here, here we have the residents in Jerusalem, God's chosen people. They may, maybe they go to temple once a week, maybe they don't even, they don't even care. But because they believe they're God's chosen people, that nothing can happen to them. We can do whatever we want. Oh, it kind of sounds like easy, greasy grace, doesn't it? That I can do whatever I want because I belong to God. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. And that was pretty much their attitude. So they could, act, they could follow those other religions. They could do whatever made them happy, whatever satisfied a desire on whatever level. They could do it because they were God's special people. And so he wipes that out. Um, well, who's, who was that? Um, right. 
says they had become themselves falsehood. They were like the definition of falsehood. Their future was bleak beyond what they could believe or bear to even hear about. So that's why, that's why I kept going to prison and being thrown in sister. They didn't want to hear the message of Jeremiah at all. So during the years of Jeremiah, the preaching in, um, during the years of his preaching, sorry, Judah was spiraling down, 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 down. A lot of times we talk about Romans 1 is this, you know, picture of society just spiraling down. And, and we look around and we see things in our own world and, you know, so I just say, Romans 1. I mean, I just, you know, lo and behold, Romans 1 is here. It, it, the same kind of thing was happening to them. They were just spiraling down. Um, <clears throat> the charges that God brings against her from our lesson are, were what? Idolatry? Yes. Those following those pagan religions. Social injustices. The way there's lots of words in Jeremiah about the treatment of widows and orphans. He also caused them to task for their ri- religious ritualism, their empty worship, and then also the immoralities that were present. Think about that in terms of our own culture. So Judah has lost her mind. That's the only thing I can think of when I got to this point. I was like, she's lost her mind. She's lost her mind. As I read the pages of Jeremiah, I was reminded of the book of Judges, where we are told repeatedly that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But I felt like that by the time of Jeremiah, it seems that everyone did what was wrong and didn't care who knew it. I wasn't even trying to do what's right in my own eyes anymore because it's right for me, whatever. I can do whatever I want, and I don't care what you think about it. That's the Judah that Jeremiah was preaching to. And that's the, that's the world in which we live on so many levels. So let me give you just a little bit of the history and what's going on and what's going on. I think I'm doing all right in time. The northern kingdom has fallen to Assyria back in 722, which was about 100 years before Jeremiah was born. So think, what is that, three generations, two generations, depending on how you figure out generations. The Assyrian Empire lasted about half of his lifetime. So they are controlling all that territory to the north. Judah, little Judah is right there, still doing her little thing, whatever. And Jeremiah is growing up in that. But the world is dominated by Assyria for at least half of his life. But by the time of his death, the world is Babylonian. So we've had a huge shift in world powers. And I can't help but think, you know, we, in America, we, you know, we're too young in this room. None of us experienced World War II. And so that, that's the last thing I can think of. I wonder what the fear among believers, um, we were just discussing it, this this week with a group of younger women. We need older people to tell us what it was like to live as a Christian during some of these seemingly cataclysmic events that happened. And I... I I did a group of senior citizens one time. This was 25 years ago. So a lot of them don't even live anymore. But I said, you know, you need to tell us. You need to tell us how you got through the war. How did you get through the Depression? How did you get through the Vietnam era? How did you, you know, the things that we don't know about, not from a historical perspective, from a believer's perspective. How did you hold on to the Word of God when you saw this happening around you? Because... 
what's going to happen in the future of our lives? So we hold on to the word of God, but wouldn't we have liked to have known how they were hanging on and what they, what they were telling each other and how they were worshiping and, and praying during some of those things. And so I think about, you know, Jeremiah's time, and he sees what's going on. Assyria is a world domination, and then all of a sudden Assyria is gone, and Babylon is in power, and how that affect Judah and all of that, and who did, you know, who did he look to for, um, for information or help? He looked to the Lord. As I said, the three major kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah. So the boy king, jo- uh, Josiah, in 609, was killed fighting against the Egyptian army. I th- he was fighting against the, so Jude, Jude, the Israel army or Judean army, whatever you want to call them, the Jews, were fighting against the Egyptian army who had come to help the Assyrian army who was busy biting, fighting Babylon. Now, did you get all that? <laughs> But that's the chaos. That's why I wanted to share it. It was a chaotic time. And so little king or young man, Josiah, is killed on the battlefield. Um, And for a short time, Egypt controls Judah and puts Jehoiakim on the throne. During his reign, then Babylon becomes unstoppable. Babylon defeated Egypt. They defeated the Assyrians, and the only question for Judah was submit or rebel. And it was during this time that Jeremiah was telling the kings and leaders in Judah, submit. He saw what was coming, and he was telling them, surrender, submit, and they wouldn't do it. So they chose to rebel under Jehoiakim. So the sieges on Jerusalem began. We know from um, our familiarity with Daniel that in 605, that first deportation happens, and the, the young, vital men like Daniel and his friends, who, Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others like him were carted off to Babylon, as well as the, pretty much the ruling class, the, the academic people, you know, the cream of the crop. They get taken off in 605. That, interestingly enough, which I didn't realize until this study, that 605 is also the year that Jeremiah took the scroll of everything that he had written up to this point, and he presented it to the king and read it in his presence. Now, Baruch, his scribe, is his faithful, like, sidekick, his wingman. Baruch is with Jeremiah through the whole book. They even die together in Egypt. So we don't know all of the words that Jeremiah himself wrote or did he speak them and Baruch is writing them all down. Um, But they go to the king in 605, uh, Jehoiakim, and they read the scroll of what is is coming in front of the king and and counseling submission, basically, to what God's judgment is going to be. And the text tells us that Jehoiakim takes out a knife and slices the scroll into pieces and throws it in the fire. So if that's not an indication, too, of just his hard-heartedness against the word of God. That happens in chapter 26 of Jeremiah, in case you didn't, uh, didn't see it or read it. One commentator said that Babylon's rise to world dominance and Jehoiakim's burning of the scroll in 605 set the stage for the impending disaster. In 597, Jehoiakim rebels and is killed, and his son, Jehoiachin, becomes king 
and surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not king for very long. Jerusalem is spared for 10 years. Nebuchadnezzar puts Zedekiah on the throne, and then he mounts a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar in 587-586 is an 18-month siege, and that is when the city falls, and the temple is burned, and everything goes horribly wrong to the end. So that brings about the second deportation, and only the poor, old, ill, decrepits <laughs> are left in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah ends up being one of them because he had been in prison when all this was going on. And so um, there's an interesting, I didn't, shoot, I didn't write it down. Um, he's freed from um, Gedaliah, um is the man who comes to the prison and frees Jeremiah from, and it's kind of an interesting story. Um, but he, he stays in Jerusalem. Jeremiah and his scribe Baruch are taken then finally against their will to Egypt. There was a rebellion of sorts um, by the left-behind ones. The, the ill and decrepit and the old decide they're going to mount something. And we can take them! You know? And the, I, I don't know how that happened. But anyway, he gets, he gets carted off. The interesting thing we're told in chapter 24 is that when these people, after everything they've gone through, when these people get to Egypt... They immediately offer sacrifices to the queen of heaven who they think they've offended and they want to try to put things right with the queen of heaven. It's uh, just kind of unbelievable. Jeremiah pronounces judgment on them in chapter 44. I wanted to read this to you. 44, um, 26 is the verse we start at. 44:26 He says, "Nevertheless, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are living in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, never shall my name be invoked again by the mouth of any man in Judah in all of the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord God lives. Behold, I am watching over them for harm and not for good." until all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt will meet their end by the sword and by famine until they are completely gone. So yes, he pronounced judgment on them. I read that to you because I want you to realize that all throughout the book, Judah is being told that God's word will stand. What he says he will do, he will do. Commentator Stuhlman said that it was nothing less than the collapse of the world, a cosmic crumbling, the end of the culture, when all of this took place. Long-standing institutions associated with God's blessing, with their cherished belief system, with their social structures that had appeared invincible, came to a cataclysmic end. This is the world in which Jeremiah was living. This downward spiraling and collapsing structures that, in which he was called to speak the words God put in his mouth. To weep the tears that flowed from God's own heart. To bring the gospel of inexplicable grace and love which, which, with which God would create a very different future. So that's kind of the third message of the book. There is hope. Um, 
sprinkled throughout, but mainly in chapters 30 through 33. We read wonderful words uh, from Jeremiah in which God tells Judah and reassures his people that he will restore them. If you want to flip over to chapter 30, verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. And then look at, uh, down at verse 22 in that same chapter. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And then 31, verses 1 through 6. At the same time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant, and you will enjoy them. For there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Isn't that beautiful? So there are words of promise. I wanted to read 31 through 33 in that same chapter. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then finally in chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So hope indeed. You know, back in Jeremiah 16, God commands Jeremiah not to mourn or lament. He tells him he can't get married either. (laughs) It's like, poor Jeremiah, what else can happen to this man? He can't even have, you know, a wife to support him. So he's, he's not to mourn, he's not to go to funerals, he's not to lament with people. I mean, this, you know, this is, God's is so kind of like done with Judah. And he wants Jeremiah to be a picture of that in front of the people. So he says, no mourning, no lamenting, that God has withdrawn from them. He tells them not to pray for them. There's points in the book early on in the history where Jeremiah intercedes to the people. Oh, Lord, kind of like Moses. He is kind of a Moses figure, um, the commentators talk about. And he'll, he'll go to God and say, please withhold your, you know, don't do this for your name and all the things that he was kind of that figure. And then it, towards the end, God says, don't even, don't intercede for him anymore. 
don't bring me those prayers. I don't want to hear them. He also tells Jeremiah not to celebrate feasts or attend weddings. God says he will eliminate from this place the voice of rejoicing, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bride, and the voice of the groom. It's not a good time, is it? It's a terrible time. Turn with me to the book of John. Chapter 2, where we find Jesus doing what? Use your voices. Going to a wedding. Isn't that amazing? I never had, I mean, I knew, you know, turning the water into wine was the first, you know, the first miracle that Jesus did in his public ministry. Okay. But I never knew it was connected like that to Jeremiah. That at the end of Judah's existence, before they're carted off into captivity, and Jeremiah is told, don't go to weddings, don't celebrate. Don't be happy for them. Don't, you know, no. No celebrations. This is mourning. Don't even pray for them. And then the first miracle that Jesus does is he goes to a wedding. So he brings rejoicing. He brings gladness. And for that, we are so thankful. One of the commentators said Jesus specifically reversed this curse by attending the wedding in Cana. And joy and gladness are to be found in him. Hallelujah. The thread of redemption is a little more, is more than a little frayed, I think, (laughs) during this time as we've traced it through scripture. This time in history, it's, it's not broken, but it's frayed. It's suffering. But the word of God can be trusted to hold it in place and to smooth it and to refine it, and to strengthen it. And for that, we today are most thankful. Let me close with this. Chris Wright said this about God and Jeremiah. His ultimate purpose would prevail over them in judgment, for them in restoring grace, and through them for the sake of the nations. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, that you watch over your word. That what you say you will do, you will do. Sometimes, Lord, that has us trembling in our shoes. Other times we are just full of gratitude and your grace and mercy, that loving kindness. Those mercies that are new every day. It's an amazement to us. Lord, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pastor. We hear your voice. We have your word. I pray, Lord, that through the pages of the scripture, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will find us doers of the word, that we will seek to live our lives in such a way that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies.